Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, our second session of our virtual national conference. Uh, my name is Angela Samoz, and uh, I'll be your moderator for today's session. Uh, but before we get started, I just wanted to share a couple of things. Please. So our, our panel today is Jose Luis de Silva from California. Logan Duarte from Massachusetts and Emmanuel Araujo from New Jersey. So uh, a big thank you to FLAD. They are the ones that made this uh, national conference uh, possible. So we thank them for their efforts. And now we have a, a, just a brief message from them. Levar os portugueses mais longe. Ser uma ponte entre Portugal e os Estados Unidos da América. Esta é a missão da Fundação Luz Americana para o Desenvolvimento. A FLAD nasceu em 1985 na sequência do Acordo das Lages e por aqui passaram até hoje milhares de pessoas e ideias que ajudámos a transformar em realidade. Promovemos a partilha de conhecimento e experiências através de bolsas de estudo, estágios, prémios e conferências unindo os dois lados do Atlântico. Trabalhamos diretamente com a comunidade portuguesa nos Estados Unidos. Queremos contribuir para que o papel dos luso-americanos seja cada vez mais forte e para que as origens portuguesas sejam continuamente celebradas. Nesta ligação atlântica surgem, claro, os Açores. Pela sua importância geoestratégica de segurança e defesa, científica e cultural, são um ponto essencial na atividade da FLAD. Somos ciência, educação, arte e relações transatlânticas. Há 36 anos a contribuir para o desenvolvimento de Portugal e dos portugueses. Eu também gostaria de agradecer Lico como sponsor and Portugalia Marketplace in Fall River, Massachusetts, and our additional sponsors, UMass Lowell, Anchor Construction, Atlantis Agency, The Navigator Company, and MDVIP. And if you do find these sessions, uh, not only with the National Conference, but on any of the virtual sessions that we hold, I urge you to become a member today. It's very affordable for less than a cup of coffee every day for a month. Uh, it's, uh, you can become a member of Palkus. It starts at $50 for the year. And it really helps us to maintain these sessions for free for everybody. So why don't we uh, get started? I'm gonna have each of our panelists introduce themselves and there's the school that they teach at, but this session is really to explore the existing programs in, in uh, middle school and high school that exist, um, how they got started, what's worked, um, lessons learned so that if there are other programs out there that might be struggling, they will get some ideas on how they can grow their Portuguese and culture program, language and culture programs. And then if there's anyone out there that's looking to start a program where they feel like, you know, in our local school, there should be a Portuguese language program. How do you know, what are some ideas we can get to get started? So um, these really a, a lessons learned and how can we move forward discussion today? So please pop your questions into the Facebook chat. We'll answer them live. And if you're joining us on Zoom, uh, you can put your answers in the Zoom chat as well. So we'll start with Zelu da Silva. You're closest to me physically, so because I'm in California, so are you. So. <laughs> hey, Hi, everybody. Thank you for inviting me to participate in this. Um, well, let me just start by saying that uh, presently I'm retired, uh, presently and in the future. <laughs> and uh, I uh, taught for, um, you know, for many years at San Jose High School, so, uh, which was used to be called San Jose High Academy. I also taught at the middle school level for four years in San Jose. And prior to that, in the high school in the Sierras, yeah, in the mountains of California. Uh, I'm originally from the Azores, from San Miguel, from Porto Delgado, immigrated here. A long time ago, I've been in California for over 52 years, and um, my experiences are, are varied. I, I, I taught at different levels in addition to those adult school, some extension courses, and uh, for several years, together with these boards, I was a support teacher for the Portuguese programs here in California through the Camões Institute. Excellent. Logan. Uh, well, hello, everybody. Thanks again for the invitation, Angela. Uh, to sum up a little bit about me, I am a Portuguese instructor at UMass Dartmouth, as well as right here where I'm sitting at Milford High School in Massachusetts. I am the, I'm in charge of the curriculum development and implementation here for our entire Portuguese language program. Um, I've also taught at the community schools here in Massachusetts, specifically the one, the Escola Social in Taunton, Massachusetts. 
uh, which also encompasses the middle school age students. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Emmanuel. Hello, everyone. Uh I'm a Portuguese teacher in Elizabeth, New Jersey at Alexander Hamilton Preparatory Academy, which is a public school in Elizabeth. Uh, I've been here for eight years. I'm uh, originally from Paredes, Dakota, Viana uh, Castelo, in the, in the northern part of Portugal. And, um, you know, I've been uh, also part of the curriculum team here in Elizabeth. So I helped develop the curriculum for, for Portuguese along with uh, other teachers in other uh, languages. So it, it is a pleasure for me to be here and to uh, participate in this discussion. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your programs that you're running and in Zé Luis, the, in your case, the one that you did run, but I know you keep tabs on, you know, uh, how that program is doing. What's the demographic of the students uh, that you have and what do you find resonates really well with them? What gets them excited about being a part of that class? Uh, as you know, Angela, I retired a few years ago and right now at San Jose High, we have my uh, colleague, uh, Luis Nunes, who's uh, from Rhode Island. As a matter of fact, when I retired, it was extremely difficult to find a Portuguese teacher. Mm. I couldn't find one in California. Luckily, I had some contacts in the East Coast who, uh, who put me in, in touch with uh, Luis, and uh, he's, he's been here for several years and doing a wonderful job. Uh, the school where I taught and where he teaches, Sansa High, uh, has an international baccalaureate program. I don't know if you're all familiar with that, but that is uh, basically a European-originated high school program, which gives a diploma that is recognized by universities and nations all over the world. So it's a, it's a, it's a very rigorous um, program, and in there we had we have the Portuguese language. There are six subjects. One of them is a is a world is a language, and Portuguese is is one of the languages. As a matter of fact, uh, at San Jose High, we used to have Portuguese, Spanish, and French. Um, and a few years ago, we the school dropped the French, so there's only Spanish and Portuguese. And San Jose mm -hmm. High is right in the middle of inner city San Jose, meaning that the community is mostly Hispanic. And uh, a, few, a couple decades ago, uh, it was right next to a very large Portuguese community around the Five Woods National Portuguese Church. And uh, little Portugal is still there, not the same as it used to be before. What happened is very simple. Uh, people immigrated and they went to that center where everything was. As, it, as people... Uh, changed economically and demographically, people started moving to other areas of the city. San Jose, the city of San Jose has something like, I counted them once, I probably get, I'd probably exaggerate, but close to 15 or 20 school districts, including the elementary and high school districts. So you crossed uh, uh, White Road just uh, you know half a mile from San Jose High and you're in a completely different district. So what we had mm -hmm. is we had a lot of students, a lot of young people that moved to the nicer area and so what we were left mostly was older people without kids uh, around the, around the, the, the five wounds community. So we had to adapt, you know, at, uh, at one point for, for quite a long time, we were getting interdistrict transfers. Kids were coming from the other district and the districts were allowing that to be, but they lost so many students for that in the other district that they stopped that. And so mm -hmm. we, we stopped having, um, Portuguese kids coming in. We have a very limited number now. It says a high with about 130 students. Mm -hmm. About 10 of them are Portuguese. Uh, but the rest of them are Hispanic or other ethnicities. And that can be looked in two different ways. One can be looked at, oh, that's terrible. We have so few Portuguese kids. But then we have to look at the other side. That we have a program in there that attracts people, kids from other ethnicities and languages who are fascinated by the Portuguese language, fascinated enough to want to learn it. And this is a phenomenon that, that I think we're going to find not just in California, but all over. The fact that other people are interested in Portuguese language. And this is something where if we have some time, I'd like to go into that more. Mm -hmm. The fact that California is a very high Hispanic community and Spanish and Portuguese, we know that are languages that have great similarities. It is easy for the Hispanic kid to learn Portuguese 
while at the same time, it's very, it's different. It's very interesting. It's up to us Portuguese teachers to have classes that awaken that interest in Hispanic community. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, you know, if, and one of the points that we try to make here, when I say we, I, there are other teachers who, who have the same approach. Denise Boris, who's also retired from Tulare, he had a similar situation. Of course, they have a lot more Portuguese in Tulare, uh, in the in the Tulare high schools than we do in San Jose High. But the, the approach is to, is to say, hey, uh, if you know Spanish, if you know Portuguese, if you know English, you almost have all of the Americas uh, in, <laughs> in your language. So that makes you extremely marketable. Uh, so this is the this cosmopolitan way of looking, global way of looking at Portuguese is something that we have to look at and 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 get away from, from that more provincial way that we sometimes look at Portuguese. And part of my experience since I was teaching an international baccalaureate program, I was forced, but I loved it, to teach the the, the Lusophone world. So we mm -hmm. had to teach literature, it was not just about Portugal or the Azores, it was about Angola and a lot about Brazil. And yep. Brazil really is Brazil is, is is an area that fascinates Americans of all ethnicities and definitely fascinates uh, fascinates Hispanics. But I tell them that half of South America speaks Portuguese, <laughs> one third mm -hmm. of Latin America is Portuguese speaking. They, you know, it's it's something that they they they, they are surprised sometimes. Right, and I see in the background Emmanuel's bulletin board. There has yes. all of the Portuguese speaking flags. So Emmanuel, why don't we start? Why don't we go with you next? Talk a little about your program and what's what okay. resonates. All right, sure. Uh, first of all, I, I have to agree with a lot. Uh, well, uh, Jose talked about um, the program here in Elizabeth was started about twenty years ago or so in the in the beginning of the year, you know, the two thousands. Uh, so obviously, I was not here at the beginning of it, uh, but you know there were some fundamental teachers that were here, and they helped to, to develop the program and, and grow it uh, throughout the years. Um, so, I, in terms of the population here in Elizabeth, uh, I have to also kind of agree with Jose with Jose uh, said, which is we have a few that are Portuguese speakers or heritage, or they have a background in Portuguese. They are the descendants of, of uh, immigrants uh, from Portugal, also from Brazil, okay? Um, and, uh, but the vast majority of the, of the student population is non-native. So how do we go about uh, motivating and, you know, uh, inc you know, incentivizing students to want to learn the language? And, you know, uh, I use that analogy a lot, Portuguese and Spanish, you know, they're kind of due to the number, high number of Spanish speakers that I have in my class from Central and South America. I try to encourage them to, to uh, look at Portuguese and Spanish as, as relatives, you know, uh, kind of like cousins in a way, how it could be easy for them if they acquire the necessary skills um, to really learn Portuguese rather quickly. You know, if they mm -hmm. are able to differentiate between the Portuguese and, and uh, Spanish as, uh, you know, as obviously as independent languages, but use a lot of the common structures that exist between both. Linguistically, Portuguese is an easy language to, to, to learn for students who have a background as Spanish mm -hmm. speakers, as fluent Spanish speakers, you know, not just conversational, but that they can write and they can uh, read in, in, in the Spanish language. Mm -hmm. The other aspect that I tried to, to bring out is the cultural aspect of, of Portuguese, of the Portuguese speaking world, right? And, you know, opening their eyes, you know, obviously Portuguese is, is you know, originated in Portugal, but there are so many countries in the world where Portuguese is the official language. And when students walk into my classroom, they know Portugal, they know Brazil, but they don't know these other countries. So it's mm -hmm. also an opportunity for them to expand uh, their knowledge of, of the Portuguese speaking world. And uh, culturally, um, you know, uh, there, there's so much for them to, that to gravitate towards, whether it's, you know, the, the food, for example, mm -hmm. we have a lot of lessons on, on, on food and lessons on uh, cultural elements like music, whether it's, you know, uh, so those, those elements are fundamental in creating a, a, an interest, you know, in, in students that are not of a Portuguese background. Obviously students that have that background, right? They're, they're gonna, uh, you know, improve their linguistic skills. You know, they're, they, they already have some of these 
senses of, of, of uh, you know, Portuguese culture, things of that sort. But some of them are not really aware of all the other Portuguese speaking countries either. Mm-hmm. So even for them, it's a, 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 an opportunity to expand their knowledge and, and to uh, get a more global view of the, the Portuguese language. And that's what we try to implement here in, in Elizabeth. Excellent. Logan. Uh, so just to give you a little background about my program, it was also started in the early 2000s by actually one, one teacher. Her name was Nielsa Mirabel, who I'll always give a shout out to. Mm-hmm. She did an incredible job of getting this program off the ground. She built a wonderful foundation. She has since retired, and now um, I took over for her. I'm very happy to do so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to, to say that here at, at Milford High School, we offer Portuguese one through five. Uh, as well as a heritage language program, and we do the Portuguese National Honor Society. So, um, which which kind of brings me into what resonates and what makes us thrive here is is really the students. So, the common thread I'm seeing here through all of everyone's answers is the students. Um, you know, a lot of the students realize the value in studying Portuguese. That could be different for every student, uh, but it's not just Portuguese students or Brazilian students. So just to describe the demographic a bit of Milford and well, Massachusetts in whole, right? Rhode Island in southeastern Massachusetts has a, a very large Azorian as well as Portuguese community. Uh, and up in Milford here, you know, Milford, Framingham, this part of uh, Massachusetts, there is a very, very large Brazilian community um, and a wave of uh, recently uh, immigrated Brazilians who are still arriving here. So we're getting new students every single day. So it's very much alive. Here, the Brazilian culture is very much alive, as well as the Ecuadorian community, which is still arriving as well in the Hispanic speaking, uh, the Hispanic community in general, the Spanish speaking community as a whole. Uh, So those two communities are very, very much uh, present and very much intermingling, especially in Milford here at Milford High School. And I've seen that, you know, in our program where it works between the Spanish and the Portuguese language program. So there's Brazilians who want to take Spanish. There's, there's uh, Spanish students or Hispanic students who want to study Portuguese. There's also Brazilian students who want to speak Portuguese and study Portuguese because they're heritage learners. And they, mm-hmm. they may, you know, they're, they're L1, their first language is, is Portuguese. But, you know, due to how much time they spent in the United States, their English has become their, their dominant language and they mm-hmm. want to train that more. So there's a whole variety of different learner types that engage in our programs and they all blend together and in different ways. I also have Anglophone students who may have Brazilian friends or they may feel some type of connection or just general interest in the Portuguese, the the Lusophone world as a whole. You know, I I really like that someone said, I believe it was José Luis, who's talking about Brazil and how, you know, half of South America speaks Portuguese, right? And people don't often, you know, right? That's like something really interesting to them. That's really, you know, something new. Um, so, you know, one, you know, resonance, I guess I could point out was, you know, how well you're able to use your demographic as an asset, right? Because sometimes there's a misconception that in order to have a Portuguese language program, you need to have only a, a really uh, dominant Portuguese American community. And that's just not the case, right? So there are a lot of Hispanic communities that could benefit from a Portuguese language program. And I think that that's the case. I think that Milford is a, is a living testament of that. You know, we see that type of, you know, cultural intermingling every single day here. Um, so I 100% agree with everything that mm-hmm. uh, both Jose Luis and uh, Manuel uh, have uh, have said. Mm-hmm. You know, from my own, I'm not a teacher and I certainly didn't start a Portuguese language program, but we did start a Portuguese club at my daughter's school. It's an elementary school. And I thought, you know, there's there's a couple of kids that are Portuguese at the school. So I thought, okay, well, even if it's just a club for the four of us, right, we'll, we'll get something started. And the first day of the first meeting, there were 25 kids in this club. And there still continues to be a really great turnout. And again, only two of them are Portuguese. And so I think we underestimate the interest level of non-Portuguese in the Portuguese culture, in the Brazilian culture, in the... Portuguese speaking world uh, culture in general. And so I think the points that all of you made are just so consistent. Um, and I feel like we need to shout that from the rooftop. So like just beat it into people's minds, right? Like it's not just for the Portuguese, it's for the broader community. Um, talk a little bit about, um, 
you know, the kinds of um, support that your programs get, you know, in terms of, uh, is it kind of an annual thing where you're having to always uh, get support from the school and from the parents, or do you apply for funding? And, you know, how much of that is your job to keep the program going? Because I think that's a, that's a concern that people have too. It's like, okay, fine, I might be able to get something started, but then how do we maintain it, right? And even a lot of existing programs face the maintenance challenge. So talk a little bit about that. I don't know if somebody wants to go first. Yeah, volunteers. Okay, I'll start. <laughs> uh, support. Uh, well, I didn't go into a little bit in the background when the Centers of High program started, but very quickly, it started in the early 70s when bilingual education was very strong in California. And it was pushed by the community that supported it very much. And we had tons of students because we were still, we had received so much immigration in the years prior to that. And uh, so uh, it was easy to, well, fairly easy. There was uh, some community leaders that went to the district and I won't say they demanded, but they made a case for Portuguese. And the Portuguese was taught at the elementary, the middle school and the high school. So there was a continuity uh, in there. And of course that helped with time and the disappearance of bilingual programs for political reasons in California, uh, we were left with, uh, with the high school program. Um, I think uh, that, in, as I talked to colleagues of mine uh, about this, one very important thing is the relationship of the Portuguese teacher with the other members of his or her department and administration. Uh, we had a very cohesive department uh, where we are very good friends. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because the community is intermingled. One of my best friends, a Spanish teacher, uh, you know, his son's playing soccer with the, with the Portuguese community. So we have that uh, in here. So having that strong uh, department support is essential. Then you go to the next level, which is the school administration. Very, very important to, to, to have the PR, the diplomatic skills to maneuver through the things. And I must be frank, I had one principal that uh, was uh, I'm not very fond of for the things that, that were done. But other than that, we had tremendous support. As a matter of fact, um, and let me give you a little, a little example of why I wasn't too fond of that. I remember walking by uh, the, the office and hearing it, a new student being told, we have French and Spanish in this school, never mentioning anything about Portuguese. The next principal I got was very friendly with a Portuguese community. And he was the one who was bringing in students to the program. So mm. if you can massage that, that connection, department and, and, and um, administration, you have half of your work done. Of course, you have to have students, but that's, you know, that's, that depends. If you look at my examples, the number of students depends on how the people who run the school look at your program and the prestige that they give it. If it's just, ah, it's Portuguese, nobody there, you're not going to get non-Portuguese students for that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that, uh, you know, when we had a transition from a heavily Portuguese uh, um, uh, mother tongue program to other people, one thing that really, really helped us was our Portuguese club. We had a very, and still do, a very active Portuguese uh, club in school. I, people consider it the most active club in school. We had all kinds of activities, including we had a, we had a, a folklore uh, group that, you know, so we had Hispanic kids, we had Indian kids from, from India, <laughs> Portuguese thing. And you know, awesome. they, you know, that kid might take one year or two and then the little brother, little cousin comes in as a freshman, wants to take Portuguese. Uh, then you have a boyfriend, girlfriend. And that was really an incentive to bring uh, Hispanic kids in. The other thing was uh, that we had a, an annual event, a, a Portuguese club scholarship dinner, where we raised sometimes from twelve dollars to $15,000 that we give in scholarships. In an area like inner city San Jose, where we're dealing with a poor community, that was very important. So all of that put together uh, allowed uh, enough to attract students. And there were things, I mean, I used to have all these things at the windows of my of my classroom saying things like I mentioned, half of Latin Americans speak Portuguese or, or, or Portuguese is the major language in the Southern hemisphere. And I would write that in Portuguese using words that I knew the Hispanics would would understand because I've also <laughs> I've also been a, a Portuguese, I mean a Spanish and a Spanish and a French teacher. So I, I and that's the other thing. If you are aware, if you've been 
teaching in other languages, you start thinking, you know, why is it that Portuguese was only for Portuguese? I'm teaching French, but I don't have any French kids in here. So mm -hmm. it's a question of prestige. And so I think that we as a language, if you think of Portuguese as a language of 11 million people, as much as we love it, as, as much as we think it's a great language and culture, the American side is not going to look at it that way. If we look at the language of 200 plus million people, then they start, they often don't know these things. You have to educate the, the school board, the, 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 the principal and all that. If they start realizing that, then we get more prestige. Knowing full well that historically Portuguese has not been a language of prestige in American schools, we have we are creating that, and we can only create it by by opening it up and making a, making like what, what all of us are talking about, making Portuguese a, a global language where other people are interested. And I don't know if you uh, two find the same thing, but I find I found that Portuguese kids, when they saw other kids, non-Portuguese kids, taking Portuguese. That was a stimulus for them. Hey, my language and culture is important. And I didn't mention, but we have also some Brazilian kids and some kids that were uh, sons uh, and daughters of Portuguese, mostly Azorians, who had gone to Brazil, immigrated there, and then came to the United States. So th they spoke Brazilian Portuguese and uh, sometimes a little mixed up with Portuguese, uh, continental Portuguese. So um, all of these things... Um, help uh, bring people together it's all about bringing people together it has a lot to do with our culture we're a very inclusive culture we're a very warm culture if we transmit that to the students and the community to the parents uh we're going to attract people mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah i would love to follow up on that so i, I agree with uh, all of that and, you know, it's very similar here. I, I see my support really on three levels, you know, community, colleagues, and administration. From the community, we have a very strong, a very present, uh, both Brazilian community, Ecuadorian community, as well as Portuguese community, mostly from the northern part of, of continental Portugal, like Trasujmonte, like way up there area, um, as well as a few Azorians, I've noticed. Uh, I've had a few Azorian students, although it's not as popular as it was when I was teaching in southern Massachusetts in Taunton, actually where I'm, where I'm from. Uh, we had a lot more Cape Verdean Azorian students. Um, but up here, the community is very much involved, very much engaged, and very much um, interested in learning Portuguese. The parents, they want their, you know, they want their kids to get a formal education in Portuguese. A lot of them um, you know, speak Portuguese at home, but they may have never gone to school in Brazil or uh, or wherever their their family is from, right? So, so there's that level of community engagement. We have the Portuguese National Honor Society, which the the main mm. purpose of the Portuguese National Honor Society is to do community service, to do cultural enrichment uh, activities that involve the community, get everybody involved, right? Uh, things like that. So there's a lot of you know um, cohesion in that regard between the community, right? Because teaching is public service. It really is, right? And mm -hmm. the whole garden, you know, and the community is what drives public service, is what drives action, is what drives decisions, right? So we have, you know, having community members advocating in things like the school committees and things like that, that's a, a decisive factor if you're deciding, if you're thinking about starting a Portuguese language program, for sure, because the, the community is what has the power when we're talking about public service. And that's what drives decisions. So you need to find that desire, that want, establish it within the community, and then mobilize it. Really, um, you know, in, in terms of coworkers, Jose Luis mentioned the cohesiveness of the department. I feel the same way here. Um, I am the the main Portuguese teacher here. We also have one other teacher who is a mix, who teaches Portuguese and Italian. Um, but I also feel a co cohesiveness with all of the teachers. We have Spanish, uh, Portuguese, and Italian, and French here at, at Milford High School. And no matter what the language, we're always willing to work with one another. We have multiple national honor societies. We have uh, Portuguese, Spanish, and French, and Italian. So we all work together, right? There's a lot of um, collaboration. So when you're talking about a language program of any sort, you know, it really is a collaborative and, you know, many hands make light work. So that's uh, been an essential element really for me in the ability to scale the program that we offer here and continue it at a high level of rigor. And also administration has worked very close with me. Um, just to provide one brief example, uh, I mentioned before that we have a strong uh, heritage 
population of heritage learner or heritage speaker population here. We also have a lot of newly arrived uh, students from Brazil and Ecuador, and they worked very close with me last year. And this year, I'm very happy that we were able to develop a curriculum and implement a new heritage track. So a, a track just for heritage speakers. And so I have actually in that class a very interesting mix of true heritage students. And then I also have um, L students, as we call them, English language students or multilingual students, right? Who have Portuguese as their first language because there's a lot of evidence that shows that if you're improving your L1, your first language, that will also help you to improve your English in our case, which is their L2, right? So, in a, so I collaborate heavily, not only with my fellow world language department, but also the EL department, mm. which is in the same wing as me. So there were, there's a lot of um, cohesion, there's a lot of collaboration and those elements, along with the support from administration, which has given me the freedom to do these things, has been uh, very much vital. So I would say that those aspects are definitely essential if you're going to start a program and um, places that you should be starting at, for sure. Okay. So um, Logan and Jose, you know, I, I totally agree with, uh, with what you guys said. The community plays such a vital role in, uh, in these programs and, and get them in, in getting them up and running. Right. So, um, here in Elizabeth, we have uh, district managed funding uh, as far as funding, right. Uh, for the Portuguese program, which treats all languages the same. So, you know, Spanish, Italian, French, and Portuguese are the four languages that are uh, offered mostly here in Elizabeth at the uh, high school level. Uh, Portuguese is only offered at a high school uh, level here in Elizabeth as well. So we have, um, you know, a pretty robust uh, team, a curriculum team that works together across different languages, like you mentioned, Morgan. So we have, you know, uh, we meet uh, as a curriculum team to try to improve and try to maintain some type of cohesion amongst all languages. And, uh, you know, with following the NJ standards uh, for world language, following the thematic unit, the model curriculum set forth by the by New Jersey, right? So I'm specifically talking about our case here, uh, but maintaining that level of cohesion amongst different languages uh, is, is something that uh, we maintain um, here in Elizabeth. Um, so having that support from, from the district, you know, in trying to, you know, and, and making Portuguese uh, an equal player, you know, in terms of language is, is, uh, is massive, right? So, uh, you know, in, uh, at a school level as well, I've, I've always had the support of, of my, my supervisor, my uh, principal. So, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, part of the success here in Elizabeth has been one that students, regardless of their background are able to select Portuguese, you know, and, and that's why I have a lot of students uh, over the years that are not, you know, native Portuguese speakers, although having those students that are native or heritage speakers that, you know, come from a Portuguese background uh, is definitely something that parents play a role in. They, they want them to improve. They want them to become uh, better speakers, more, you know, um, you know, they can improve on their writing skills, you know, their reading skills. Um, having them in the class plays a vital role because it helps them also become leaders within the classroom. And it's something that we, you know, that is important uh, in all of my classrooms, having those native speakers, but because of the strong amount or the huge amount of students that are not, not native speakers of, of Portuguese that don't come from that background, um, you know, having this ability that they can choose Portuguese and pick it and, and go through the program uh, here in Elizabeth and in New Jersey, don't, the requirements is two years. Some some cases there's a third year of, of a language, regardless of the language. So um, we, you know, part of the success and you know has been this ability to uh, work together with the the my fellow teachers that are in the world language department, working with the district and the community as a whole. So um, you know that that has been um, something that. I'm glad you guys touched on, and yes, Portuguese and, and French, just to end my point, French is not spoken much more as a global language. And if we look at raw numbers, it's not spoken much more than Portuguese. And there are all these programs, which Jose mentioned, all across the United States, right, where French is offered as a language, as a foreign language. So if you are looking to 
um, you know, create your own program at a school, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, uh, looking at Portuguese as, as, a, as a cultural opportunity for learning and not just the, you know, not just the country of Portugal, but all these different Portuguese speaking countries. And uh, that I think uh, will help your chances of success. However, it is important to have that presence that push from the community, you know, with the board, with showing up at school and, and requesting that this should be something that is offered at their kids' school, right? Uh, Portuguese as a, as a foreign language. Um, what are some of the things that you are looking to do um, or would like to do, whether it's this year, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, introducing a, a new cultural element or a type of field trip. I mean, we're sort of coming out of COVID, so in-person things may or may not be an option at, uh, at this point. But um, what are some of the things that you are, are thinking um, of doing that are different or you haven't done before? Well, um, one of the things that I'm interested very much I've been in the last few years is bridging uh, between the Portuguese and the Brazilian community. Uh, because sometimes there's perceptions or that's that terrible thing that sometimes you hear out there, it's two Portuguese languages, you know, continental Portuguese and Brazilian language. I have traveled extensively in Brazil. I, I know the country quite well and uh, I've never had an occasion where I was not understood or could not understand. And so just like any language, English from Australia or Alabama or London are quite different. And let's not talk about French and Quebec and all that stuff. So I've been working on that. And uh, I've produced a, you know, a little PowerPoint exactly about something like that. In California, we have we have uh, basically an Azorian community. We have some mainland, we have some, we have some uh, Madeira, and we even have some Cape Verde, a very, very small community. Uh, but uh, it's basically Azorian uh, and, and uh, definitely a Brazilian community. And uh, uh, through my moving around in Brazil and knowledge of the Portuguese community here, I realized that something that we have, some things that we have in common is a lot of Azorians in Brazil, in California, our major celebration is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit celebration all over California, as well, you know, but all the halls, you probably have been the queen at one time or another, uh, <laughs> twice. So that is a mark of Portuguese presence, Azorian presence in California. As I went through Brazil, I discovered that presence of that Azorian community is extremely important, particularly in states like Rio Grande do Sul and, and Santa Catarina, but not only that. And uh, so there's all kinds of remnants of Azorian culture and in Brazil. So I, I've made a program about that, uh, a PowerPoint. I've shown it at different places, including university uh, in, in Milwaukee, but also around here. And I, that's something that we need to, to look at. How do we find com common elements besides the, that that's the same language with between Portugal and, and, and Brazil? There's a, there are a lot of things in there, for example, if you are teaching Portuguese literature or Brazilian literature, keeping in mind that some of the major Brazilian writers like Cecilia Meirelles, her mother and grandmother were Azorian. Machado um, de Assis, his mother was Azorian. Very few people, well, I, but I'm not regionalist. I'm not saying Azorian to separate. I'm saying that as an example of our mm -hmm. community here. You can expand that to any area of Portugal. So uh, for- well, Even the, Carmen Miranda, right? Oh, she's she known was, as a Brazilian, but she, she was Portuguese, right? She was Portuguese. She, was, she went there one year. She was from Northern Portugal. So, uh, you know, the, the immigration from, imagine Trasimontes, Bayern-Meldeus, Trasimontes to Brazil. And not only, but all, mostly a, a lot of it from Northern Portugal, that immigration. So finding this common uh, connection, you know, Carmen Miranda, what an icon, what, what a mm -hmm. flag <laughs> for the connection of the two. So we need sometimes to bring those things that may seem sometimes superficial, but serve to awaken a little bit more of the, of, of the, of the understanding between the two parts of the Portuguese speaking world, Brazil and Portugal, I'm not forgetting Africa, but uh, because sometimes there's, there are misunderstandings and sometimes uh, the, there is a little bit of, of, I wouldn't say antagonism, but there's a little bit of 
you know, when you don't know something, there's a tendency to not understand that. And therefore, some I've had Portuguese parents who said, I don't want them to learn Brazilian, but anything about Brazil, we have Portuguese, and some of them want a Zorian. Some of them would be like <laughs> Denise Boris would say, you know, he was asked when he was hired in Tulare, what uh, Portuguese are you going to teach? And uh, knowing that most of his students were from the island of Terceira, he kiddingly said, I'm going to teach Portuguese from Terceira. He was kidding. But, you know, sometimes the community wants to, you know, I, I remember many of my students wanted to learn what they already knew. You know, the, mm. you study the Azores, you want to learn the island from. He said, no, 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 you got to learn about that other one because you already know this one. Or you got to learn about my students in the International Baccalaureate Literature uh, class learned a lot about Portuguese literature, but we learned also a lot about Brazilian literature. And you know something? They enjoyed it. They enjoyed uh, the, the beauty of the language. They enjoyed the funny things, uh, the, the humor. You have to pick the right uh, the, the right. Uh, 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 text and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. basically finding connections so that our students, no matter where they're from, if they're from Brazil or if they're from Portugal or more particular from the Azores, uh, they can find they, they can find that, hey, there's something there that relates to me. Like if I if I do a, a PowerPoint on, on the Holy Ghost in Brazil and they say, this is just like here in San Jose or it's just like in the Azores. Um, the, finding these common things. Uh, uh, that's one of the things I'm working on. I've worked in a, with the Brazilian consulate and the Portuguese consulate in the Dia da Língua Portuguesa, bringing people together in, in, the, in the strategic plan for the teaching of, of, of uh, Portuguese in California. We talk about one language, Portuguese language and cultures. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the, we, we, it's not one culture, it's many cultures. And this global globalization of Portuguese language, we need to bring that in and not exclude. We have one language with variants, and we have many cultures, many races, many ethnicities, many continents, and that's the richness of the Portuguese language. So that's what I'm working on. Wow, that's amazing! That's, All right, that, that's a noble goal right there. You know, yeah. I, it, you know, when you were talking that, it reminded me of something that I, an activity that I do with one of my classes, my or my level two classes. Or we have a unit about the home, and I play this song for them, Uma Casa Portuguesa. And then mm -hmm. there's a song, which obviously we all know, you know, Amali Rodrigues. But then there's another song called Casa Brasileira by Geraldo Azevedo, and I play them back to back. And it's such an interesting reaction to seeing the students because they are so different. Uh, but at the same time, they're talking about home and they're talking about the sense of, you know, they're, they're describing this, these two different homes, but they, the Brazilian one makes some connections to the Portuguese one. And I think there's, you know, it's just a, a, an interesting uh, concept of bridging this gap between the, the, two, uh, the two languages, the two countries, well, the two, not the, the one language, but the two different cultures. Um, and uh, anyway, as far as the uh, this this what I'm what I'm what I'm thinking of doing or what what I'm planning on doing differently or something new that I want to instill or begin uh, possibly this year is the following, and it, it's partially due to COVID, which you mentioned, and how sometimes we have to adapt. And it's funny that you mentioned like field trips or something like that. So uh, the district here in Elizabeth, uh, in the department, the World Languages Department, um, received a decent amount like uh, of uh, virtual goggles. Okay, so like VR, okay, virtual reality. So one thing that I'm trying to incorporate that in, and technology is big here in Elizabeth, you know, uh, students have the one-to-one -one initiative. They use, you know, the, everyone has a laptop, but using the goggles, I want to, you know, use them in a, in a, in a, a as an opportunity for students to explore maybe some places because there are these uh, virtual reality videos where, you know, of uh, different places, whether it's in Portugal or in Brazil or in other Portuguese speaking countries. So have them, uh, you know, kind of put the goggles on and take that as an opportunity for them to explore, you know, kind of be there in a way, you know, although it's virtually, but to visit these places in a more, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, like in a more fulfilling, I guess, experience, you know, like more realistic, uh, I would say, you know, instead of looking at a video or watching a video on YouTube, uh, you know, being able to, to have this, this uh, kind of different experience. So that's something that I want to incorporate at a, you know, at a school level with, with my students. Um, the other thing that we want to 
definitely to do, and I've been in contact with my supervisor over this, is we want to expand the Portuguese department here in Elizabeth. We have seven Great. high schools and we need, uh, you know, and we kind of briefly spoke about this recently is, and, I, and you touched on this, Jose, right? You, Jose, you needed to bring a, a teacher from the East Coast to, to fill <laughs> your position, right? So maybe we'll get one from the West Coast maybe to fill a position here. No. But, well, if there's uh, anybody out you know, there that's looking for a teaching position, contact Emmanuel, because it sounds like you might have yes. one available soon. Please, please do. No, we, I think, you know, presently, we, you know, there's the opportunity for, for a Portuguese teacher here in Elizabeth. So, uh, you know, we are looking for, for teachers because we want the, the program to grow, you know, and I think the more it grows, the more maybe other districts can look at us as, uh, as an example of, of an even more successful Portuguese program. So I think there, there is that. And I think maybe, um, you know, maybe it, it might seem far-fetched to become a Portuguese teacher in, uh, in, in the United States, but it really isn't, you know, there is a need and the only way there will be Portuguese programs is if these positions get filled and if, uh, if there are available teachers out there that have a certificate, even if it's a certificate of eligibility here in, uh, in New Jersey, that's enough to get started uh, with uh, the Portuguese, uh, to become a, a Portuguese teacher. So, yeah, if anyone out there is listening, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Emanuel <laughs> Excellent. Logan, we have a few minutes left. Yes. You got yeah, we're, yep. we're also trying to expand our Portuguese program here at Milford High School within the next one or two years. Uh, but to, to bring it to the middle school level a little bit, just to tie them in, uh, the, at the middle school this year, we actually started a Spanish for Portuguese speakers uh, course. And I would love to, in the future, be able to also get a Portuguese for Spanish, for Spanish speakers, speakers course. So, because we have both of those demographics, so that ties back to the to the con, to the connecting that Jose Luis and Emmanuel were were talking about. So that's something that we're we're definitely looking to do. Also, you mentioned field trips. You know, it's great that we get to go back to doing things in person a little bit more now, right? So, with the Portuguese National Arts Society this year, we're trying to bring them uh, to New Bedford because I'm in Milford, which is actually about an hour from New Bedford. It's not as accessible as Taunton, right? Which is like right down the street, but. Um, uh, we're trying to bring them to the New Bedford Whaling Museum, which has an amazing exhibit that's permanent on whaling, which is, you know, very important in the history of New Bedford and the Azorean community uh, and the Portuguese community at large, as well as Cape Verdean community. So we're, we're trying to do things like that, types of cultural uh, enrichment programs. And, um, you know, one other thing briefly that uh, Emmanuel and also Jose Luis that they mentioned that came to my mind was you know, for anyone trying to start a Portuguese program, it's not, you know, staffing might seem like an initial hiccup that people are trying to overcome, right? So I think that uh, maybe a potential solution to that would be looking for multilingual uh, professionals, that multilingual teachers that you could hire. Portuguese and Spanish is a more likely combination to find nowadays. So if you're able to start small with a course like a Portuguese for Spanish speakers or a Spanish for Portuguese speakers at the, at the middle school level or even at the high school level with uh, one teacher, who could be able to do both, that may be a potential solution to any type of budgetary or staffing problem that might be viewed initially as something that may prevent you from, from doing that, right? Because, you know, as I said before, use your community, use your demographic as an asset. That's the takeaway, mm -hmm. I suppose, here, right, to, to, to take away there. There are, you know, there are also a variety of, of resources available to people Mm -hmm. um, you know, if for if they want to start a language program about their studies done about, you know, what are the elements of an effective language program that we I might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but um, uh, so I'll wrap it up there. But those that's, are that's things another that another webinar. <laughs> yeah, that's another webinar. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we'll end with uh, we'll just go around. If you want to give one action item for those watching this uh, this webinar, so whether they're watching live or they watch a recording. Um, what would you like people to do? I would like people to rec to realize how beautiful and important and, and exciting the Portuguese language and cultures are. Um, I guess I would just reiterate what I said. Recognize the demographic that you have at your disposal and utilize it. Branch outside of just the Portuguese bubble. There is a lot of potential, a lot of un, you know, untapped 
resources and potential that can be brought to, you know, to bear amazing fruits within the field of Portuguese language education. And Emmanuel. Abs okay, so absolutely. Uh, it is important to recognize uh, how I think huge the Portuguese speaking world is, you know, and, and now looking at it from just a, 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 a Portuguese uh, or, Porsche, you know, Portuguese angle, but uh, as far as Portugal, but, or the islands, but uh, looking at it from a more global perspective, I think is, is key. And also using the community as an asset uh, to try to get these programs started, right? And even if there is no majority of Portuguese speakers in the classroom, you know, the goal is, is for Portuguese to grow and for Portuguese to become more uh, available across the, the, the country as a, as a foreign language. You have to, you know, look at uh, the rest of the community, as Logan mentioned, and uh, and work, you know, help them uh, use them as a, as an asset to get these programs started. So I think that is vital. Excellent. And I'm going to add one, which is if you are a community member or a parent, seek out Portuguese programs. And if there isn't one, start asking the question. Maybe it's just a matter of starting a Portuguese club to get started. And then that can will we'll build over time. Um, but just because you are not in education, you're not a teacher, administrator, doesn't mean that you can't instigate and start something. So we as community members, I, I feel, have a role and a responsibility to help these efforts. And as members and parents, that's what we can do. So with that, we're going to close. Thank you so much. I feel like um, there will definitely be some continuing conversations happening with this. And in fact, Halkus is looking at starting a national Portuguese language task force um, to help build these programs um, you know, in the public school system uh, in multiple states. So if anybody would be interested in joining that effort, um, we would love to have your support. Uh, you know, just reach out to us, uh, palcus at palcus.org or send us a message on any one of the social media platforms. Um, but we, we are looking to work with a geographically dispersed set of, of community leaders to bring this task force together and, and really come up with maybe a set of uh, guidebooks and manuals and curriculum that could be shared, right? Because I think that's the key too, is to be able to share resources. So uh, if you're interested, please let us know. And uh, with that, we're going to close our first session. Congratulations. We got one in the, in the books, and now we're going to head off and do uh, quite a few more over the next couple of weeks. But thank you all for your time. Very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.